The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Happy Mother's Day, moms. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, today's a day that we do celebrate you moms, and we've got a gift for you on the way out, and um, I want you to take that. How many moms do we have today? Just wave, raise your hand. Oh my goodness, we're full of moms. Let me ask this question. Uh, how many do we have moms that are going to be new moms, like pregnant moms? Wave at us. Okay, so y'all can drink the coffee before the second service. Don't do it before the first service, I'm telling you. Uh-uh. I've had several staff wives say, I'm not drinking any of the water at church. No way. And it's not the water, it's Ice-mageddon, man. I mean, because now's about the time that you start showing from the Ice-mageddon, right? Do the math. I mean, you are locked up in a house all weekend with an ice storm. The whole world shut down because there was ice. Some of you guys are like, mm, I've been praying for an ice storm today. <laughs> Lord, I know that you can do all things. Wow. All right, I'm going to lose this. So, uh, I'm Pastor Matt. I'm so glad you're here. Happy Mother's Day. If this is your first time here, there's a uh, guest card in your, in your uh, a worship guide. I'm, I'm like all thinking about other things right now. Um, ice Mageddon. Um, but there's a, a welcome card in that worship guide. We'd love for you to fill that out and we can get some information to you about who we are. We think it's important to be connected to a church body and and we want to help in that. We don't do anything weird. We're not going to stalk you or anything. Um, so if you'll fill that out, you can put that in the giving station on your way out, and uh, we will get that information to you. Um, so uh, there's just something about the name Mom. I mean, it carries just all kinds of meaning. I mean, for me, the name Mom uh, is, is my mom. I mean, my mom is back there, and she's an incredible mother, and uh, she did an incredible job raising four kids and, and helping us and spiritually investing in us. And and laying a foundation for us to be walking in the life that God had created and called us uh, to live in. And I know, I don't, I know I'm blessed in that, that aspect. And um, I know that not every one of you, when you think of the name mom, it brings back everything positive. And so you may be carrying some hurt or some baggage from, from that. Or maybe, maybe just the thought of Mother's Day brings up um, loss. And maybe you've been through a situation where Mother's Day just is it's, it's a hard, um, really cold reminder about about pain. And so my prayer for you today is that God can help you work through that. And we're going to celebrate moms, but we're going to uh, we're going to talk about some some names that are above all names and the most important thing in that. And so the name mom is going to have a major impact on every one of our lives, whether good or bad. There's other names that have impact on our lives. Let's throw some up on the screen. Thomas Edison. How many of you know what Thomas Edison did? Light bulb. I just wanted to say light bulb that way. Um, so, I mean, he's made an impact on our life. Every day we, we do uh, something that he has made an ability for us to do. We can read in the dark and everything. The next guy, see if you get this one, Alexander Graham Bell. Telephone, yeah. Think about when he first invented it. He had to make another one so he could call somebody, right? And then one of his friends wanted one. And so you get up to like five or six people and they, he makes a wrong number. No, you dialed four. Oh, man, I meant to dial three. So I don't know. Um, <laughs> And then here's a guy that took Alexander Graham Bell's invention to the next one, because I think if Alexander Graham Bell would have thought about what could happen, uh, we would, he would have been in a uh, psych ward somewhere. How many know Steve Jobs? How many, you know, have any, how many of you have a product made by Apple? Awesome. We see our saved people in the house today. I'm just kidding. I mean, if Alexander Graham Bell knew where it was going to go, I think he would, he would be just freaked out, you know. Um, but every one of us has impacted by Steve Jobs. If you don't have an Apple product, we will be praying for your salvation. Um, 
Um, or healing, because you deal with all those viruses. Um, actually, I'm just making a joke. I have to get people much younger than I to help me with my Apple products. And it's just, it's just yeah. Um, the next guy, S. Truett Cathy. How many of you know who that is? Chick-fil-A, Christian chicken, man. Um, that has revolutionized my life, you know. Um, we do our staff meetings. The Creek staff meetings is every Monday at Chick-fil-A in Lake Worth. So if you just want to happen to drop by and buy us a milkshake or anything like that, we can buy a Christian milkshake. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> these names have had an impact on life. We could go down a list of names that have had a negative impact, those in history that, have, that, that when, we, when we say their names, it just brings in fear and things like that. And then there's that, that impactful name, and I put several of them for the next slide. There's mom, mommy, mother, mom, mama, mommy, mommy. You, if you're a mom, you know this. Mommy, 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 mommy. And you've said this, moms, if I hear mom, one more time. I always just, I, I was never brave enough to go there, but I just wanted to see that, what would happen after the one more time. Um, but People have names that have an impact on history. I mean, the names that we look at, they've had an impact on, in history and the things around us. And there's, there's names that are associated with key events in history. They have, moms have an impact on our everyday lives. I mean, there's not a day that goes by that my mom has not had an impact on my life. And there's not going to be a day that goes by where my mother doesn't have an impact on my life. But I can tell you there is another name. There is a name that is above all names. And, and we've been going through the book of Acts. And Acts 4.12 tells us that there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. And that is the name of Jesus. And there is a name that has always been and always will be the most impactful name on the face of the planet in, in, the, in the spectrum of, of, of creation. There will be no other name that is above his name. He was given that name that is above all names. And at that name, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus has an impact. He has a name that is above. He has that power because of what he did for us. I mean, in the name of Jesus is hope. There's healing. There's peace. There's salvation. There's life. I mean, you think about it. He has the ability to exhale life into our bones, into our, into our body. He, he formed us from the dirt, breathed His Spirit into us. For those of you who are Christ followers, there was that moment where, where you transitioned from death to life, and that's because the power of Jesus' name. And we have, He has authority in that name, and we hold that name to a great standard. There's incredible purpose with His name, incredible purpose with His life. I started thinking about this, some of the most important things we do. Mom, shout this out. What's the most important thing you do, Mom? Teach. Anything else? Love, protect, support, encourage. Man, y'all are more talkative than the first service. We need to do some training in the first service. What was that? Guide, which is another word for discipline. Just say it. Anything else? Kiss hurts. Oh, let's do it together. Oh, thank you. I just want to hug my mom now. Um, I was thinking about that this week. What's the most important thing I do? I mean, I, I wear different hats. I mean, I, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. 
And what's the most important thing I do? I mean, when you think about it, the most important thing you do is typically your first priority, right? Um, it's the thing that you go to first. Like, like you can think about this, the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up, which is, and, and don't say go to the bathroom. Everybody who is alive does that. Some of y'all get up in the middle of the night several times to do that, and, and we try to sleep through it. But, but the most important thing is, is typically your first priority. So I started thinking about what's the answer to that question in my life? And I really had to answer, it depends. I mean, you think about moms, it's going to depend on life. I mean, you covered the majors. And see, us guys, we wouldn't have been able to go that deep. We would have been like, feed them, um, you know. And then some point during the week, bathe them. You know, I don't, I don't know, man. Mom takes care of that. What, what, what do husbands, what do fathers do? Go see your mom, right? Your kid could walk in with half his arm dangling. And, oh, 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 go get your mom. See your mom, son. Uh, but it depends. I mean, you think about a new mom. I mean, your, your most important thing is to keep that child fed and clean diapers on it. And then that progresses. And so it, there's going to be stages of, of life that changes. I can tell you, I've got a daughter that's a junior in college and a daughter that's a junior in high school. And there's still that reminder that there is incredible responsibility with kids. And, and although I don't have to keep diapers on them, I have to keep them fed. And it just looks different. I don't hold a, a bottle anymore. I have to log on to Steve Jobs' invention and go to my bank app and transfer money to help keep my kid fed. You know, and I know it's coming. Dad, I love you. You having a good day? Can I have 20 bucks to go to Pi 5? Pi 5 is not 20 bucks. I look up their menu. You can get a pizza and a drink for five ninety nine. Do that. <laughs> so uh, I started by... See, I'm telling you. That's going to cost me. Y'all are going to get me in a lot of trouble later. Anyway, so I started thinking about this. Today is not Mother's Day in my house. It's Mother and Kid Day. Thank you. You just cost me a lot of money. Um, But I started thinking about the church. What's the most important thing the church should do? What's our first priority? What's the most important thing? And you can survey Christians and non-Christians about what's the most important thing in the church. And and honestly, when you survey non-Christians, they're pulling this off of the bias of Christians that have these beliefs, which I don't think is entirely correct. I mean, some people think that the church's most important thing is to focus on politics. And, and, and I think it's important. I think we should have an opinion. We should vote. But I, I can tell you that, that this is not the platform to, to handle political issues. Um, this is a platform that has been given, has been bought with a price. And I will tell you one thing. I will speak about politics from this platform when Jesus is president. And I pray for our leaders. I pray for community all the way up to national leaders. But here's what I believe. I believe we serve a sovereign God. And every one of those politicians are a pawn in the hands of a sovereign God. So you know what? God doesn't take sides. He takes over. So the most important thing is not politics. It is important to have an opinion. I love having discussions about it, but in the right context. So the most important thing is not politics. Some think it's the morality police. If you ever run into those people... Good night. They're just some lonely people and mean. Um, and if we have any in here, I can, I, I, I'm going to help you find another church. Um, I'm just kidding. We'll help you. We'll pray for you. We'll give you an Apple phone and, and pray for you. Uh, but some people think it's the church's mission to go pointing out everything everybody else is doing wrong. 
And can I just say, if Christians could get their own houses under, in, in order, we might have some authority to do that, but we don't, have that, we don't have our house in order to have that authority. The morality police is not the most important thing we do. It's just, we just end up making a lot of people really, really angry. Um, social justice is one that, uh, by the way, on the morality police, just to stop that argument, nowhere in the Gospels or Scripture do I see God using that as his model. I mean, when you look at the life of Jesus, where would you find him? Hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. When he was beat up by the religious leaders about being a sinner and a drunkard and a glutton, what do you say? It's not the, it's not the well who need a doctor. I didn't come here for the healthy. I came for the sick. So Jesus didn't walk around pointing fingers like you are such a sinner, 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 sinner. He found himself interacting with those that needed grace, that needed hope, that needed salvation because he is the name above all names that brings that life, hope, and salvation. Social justice is another one that we, we put elevate as a priority. And I'm all about social justice. Um, there are millions and millions and millions of children in the sex trafficking industry. There are millions of women that are abused and broken. I mean, just we have incredible opportunity for social justice in our world. And the church needs to be doing something. The church needs to be engaged in helping those that are in bondage, be set free. But when we elevate that above the gospel, I think we do it a, a disservice. Um, when you think of it this way, that social justice minus the gospel is in, in eternal injustice. So it's not the most important thing. Preservation, creating a safe place for all of us to come in here who know Jesus and sit and protect ourselves from the bad people in the world and not let any bad people in because, you know, one bad apple spoils a bunch. If that's the case, we're a bunch of rotten apples sitting in here. When you put rotten fruit in a container, it's just going to get worse. It is going to get toxic, my friends. And eventually someone's going to pass out because somebody's going to dare somebody to open the lid. That's Maybe not women, but guys, we have all kinds of science experiments going on in the back of the refrigerator, right? And our wife's like, what are you doing back there? I'm growing something. What are you growing? I don't know. I'll find out in about three months. Well, when you start taking the lid off the church and we're just, it becomes toxic and the world despises and disgust, is disgusted by what comes out of the church. So it's not about self-preservation. It's not about creating a safe environment for us to be, to be our own good selves in. Uh, this is a mess. It's not about land and buildings. And I can tell you that because over the last couple months, I, I know that God has not called me into the land and building business. I am tired of it. I am praying, God, I need that yoke off of me, and it is not the priority. And it, I'll just confess to you, it's become more of a priority in my life than it should have been, and God has dealt with me on that, and we've got that back in its rightful priority, but that's not the first and most important thing in the church. So what is? The most important thing is the gospel. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the ends of the rows for you. If you don't own a Bible, write your name in it. That's our gift to you. If you have one of Steve Jobs' devices, you can find us on the Uversion app. It's in free in the App Store. If you have one of the other smartphones, I cannot help you with that. There is some way to get to Uversion and get our, our notes and our tabs online. Um, you'll have to have Alexander Graham Bell help you with that one. So anyway... Um, or Thomas Edistone. Thomas Edistone was the guy from the Flintstones, by the way. Anyway, I don't, where that came from, I have no idea. It just rattles around inside of this brain. First uh, Corinthians 15. Now, God answered over 2,000 years ago the question, what's the most important thing? And this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Now, I can tell you one thing I know. The church in Corinth was a mess. They were messed up people. And, and you know what? We are too. One of the things that we like to say here at the Creek is me too. Uh, they're a mess. We're a mess. We're all a mess. We're just one collective mess. We are like to say we are one hot mess, right? Um, so I know they were a mess because Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. The amount of chapters associated with this church outweighs 
most of Paul's uh, other epistles. So they had some issues. But in 1 Corinthians 15, he starts out, Now, brothers, I want you to, un- to remind you of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So he's basically rallying them back to the gospel. I know we've dealt with a lot of issues, but let me tell you something. Get back to the gospel. This letter, when first received by the church in Corinth, would have been publicly read. Everyone would have gathered around and they would have read the letter from Paul. And, and he's dealing with some issues. It'd be like, you know, now we, we've taken the letters out of context. I mean, most of us do not write a letter anymore, right? Most of us don't even write emails. Most of us don't even do phone calls. We do what? We text. We're like, oh, I've got an issue to handle that church over there. Just bing, and it's done, right? It's like, oh, problem solved. I mean, Paul's like, I, the church has an issue, so he's going to write, 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 write. He's going to seal it up, stamp it, you know. Lick it, take this to the church in Corinth. You know, that, that, that's a lost art. But anyway, he's reminding them of the gospel. They were gathered because of the gospel. We are gathered because of the gospel. So let's go on, verse 3. I'm just going to tell you up front, when we start into verse 3 and 4, I may make you a little frustrated because I'm going to break this verse down in some very small pieces. And some of you are like, can't he just finish the verse? I'll be able to finish the verse, but we'll get through it. But there's some important things to break down in this. Because the gospel is the most important thing. So let's understand what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news. It means good news. And that good news, Paul's going to go into here in these next few verses. For what I received, I passed on to you as of First importance, first importance, first priority. It is the major thing, the number one thing I gave to you is first importance. That Christ died. Okay, just write that down. That Christ died. Part of the gospel is that Christ died. And and it's interesting that we've got to deal with this because in order to die, he had to live. Now, I, I know this, there's, a, there's a lot of questions. I have people that I talk to that, that are not followers of Christ. It, maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Christ. Can I tell you, this is a safe place to wrestle with those questions. This is a safe place to begin to, to let God do some things in your life. And, and we can help you and encourage you through that. We're not going to force Jesus on you. He's not a hijacker. He's a gentleman. And, and that, that he died is a big question or a big issue to wrestle with. Because at some point, every one of us in our life has to answer this question, what are you going to do with Jesus? And I know I hear people say, well, I just don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe he ever lived. I don't believe he ever existed. Well, you you can't even say that's true outside of the Bible. Because first century historians, Josephus, wrote about this man from Nazareth who is called Jesus. His life is documented even outside of Scripture. He died. He died. And we have to understand that. Maybe you have a hard time believing this because someone's told you something about Jesus that is not true. Or, 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 or here's another one. Maybe you've been hurt by someone who claims to be a Christian. Join the club. But at some point, we all have to put the excuses aside and deal with the question, what am I going to do about Jesus? What am I going to do with Christ who died? So Paul addresses that Christ died. The next thing he goes on to is why he died. He was murdered. He died for a reason. So when you go on, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. For our sins. Write that down. 
We must always remember the reason that Christ died is for our sins, for my sin and for your sin. When we start to forget that, it gets us into a very dangerous situation. Because when we, when we deal with this, when we forget that it wasn't that just Christ died, but He died for our sins, He died for my sins, I know my sins. And I know what He has freed me from. And I know what He has forgiven me for. And when we lose sight of that, we can become prideful and arrogant. Do you know how God dealt with another one who was prideful and arrogant? Satan, Lucifer. That's what got him cast out of heaven. When we start getting arrogant and prideful about how good we think we are, we're setting ourselves up for a fall. And this is across the board for those who follow Christ. And I see it in all of our lives. I mean, guys, we do it. I mean, we look at how some other guy's doing something, well, that ain't the right way to do it. On Sunday, we can watch football, and we can tell every player exactly how to do their job. Because we know. This week is draft week. And we know where Johnny Football should have gone. Because we know better, right? And ladies, you're not off the hook. You're not off the hook. Can you believe how they raise their child? I can't believe that that mother would let that child do that. You have got to be kidding me. Hey, we're, we all do it. We all do it. We need to humble ourselves before God humbles us. Because when we get prideful, you, you want the one thing that will set the God of the universe against you is pride. Take my advice. I've been there. Humble yourself before Jesus has to do it. Because he will do it. He loves you enough where he will humble you. Because he wants to deal with it. He wants to deal with that pride. So he died for our sins. He paid for my sin and he paid for your sin. Maybe some of you need to start walking in the freedom of that forgiveness. Maybe the guilt of your sin and the enemy's trying to steal your, the, the, the joy of walking in your forgiveness because he keeps reminding you of how bad your sin was. You know what? Sin is sin. It separates us from God. And Jesus died for our sins. Maybe that needs to get into your heart and work a little bit so you can walk forward. Maybe you leave here today for the first time really understanding that I am forgiven. And that I can leave here without carrying the baggage of guilt. You could, this altar, you can leave all your guilt at this altar. You don't have to carry it anymore. Christ died for your sins. And then Paul goes on. I love that, that he included this next part. That he was buried. It's interesting about burial. Burial is just final, you know. Most of us humans, we don't know what to do with death. I mean, I know we, we, we have a, uh, the cemeteries and people are just dying to get in. But... Um, um, you know, some, some of us want to be cremated. And, and you know, I'm not going to get into the whole theological thing of that. Because if you think about it, we're like, well, should I be cremated? Because when Jesus returns, you know, you're supposed to, he's going to raise the bodies. Can I tell you something? Do you know how God made Adam? He formed dust from the ground and blew his breath on it and made man. Do you think the creative idea and the creative genius of our God can't bring ashes back together? I mean, so you don't have to worry about those theological things. Trust me, he knows how to take care of it. But most of us don't know how to deal with death. So what we do, especially in the church, we show up at your house with food. Most of the time it's a casserole because we're we're bringing comfort food, right? Because you need comfort. And we don't know what to do. So we're going to sit for an uncomfortably, extremely long time because we don't know how to leave. Are they feeling like this is weird or should I stay? Should I go? And the people that you came to visit, man, I wish I was dead. So we visit for an extremely long time. Then we go to the funeral services, and I'll tell you, I, I, there's the, just the amazing grace that God pours out in the funeral service. It, it, it's, just, it's incredible, but I don't like funerals because they're uncomfortable because we get up, we cry. It's hard. It's difficult. It is a difficult service. 
and, and, and we, we get through it, and, and you know, we, we try to keep them short. I've been to funerals where I literally thought half of my life had slipped away during that service. And, and then in Texas, this is weird. We, I grew up in West Virginia and North Carolina. We didn't do this there. But at the end of the service, when everything's said and done, we open the casket again and let everybody walk by. Like, why? I don't want to remember them that way. I just don't. I've got this. I, I remember here, you know, and here. I remember how this person is. Not in that. And then because we still don't know what to do, we all go to the graveyard and do it all again. We do the exact same thing. And then we're afterwards like, well, what do we do now? Let's go back to your house. I got some more food. I brought a casserole. <laughs> I mean, and we just don't. That, hey, I grew up in church, man. Mayonnaise-based casserole, which, by the way, next week is our Q-Fest. And uh, so please don't bring any mayonnaise-based casseroles to that because it is outside. The sun will start to bake that. And there's just all kinds of fun stuff that we will be dealing with after Q-Fest if we do that. But if you want to bake for that, that's an awesome opportunity to bring the community. Let me explain something real quick. Let me side note with Q-Fest. It's not just a place for us to, to show off our barbecue skills. It's a community event for our church because we have three services and it's hard to get to know everybody. So we can get together outside of the context of this place and it's all centered around food. Because remember, when Christians don't know what to do, it's got to be food, right? And so we, we're going to come together. We're going to bring barbecue. we got everything. Lake Worth Park next Sunday, 3 o'clock. It's time to get to know people you go to church with. We're family, folks. Let's get to know our family. And so it's an important thing for that. So, so I, Paul makes it a point to put in that he was buried because there's finality in that. But while he was buried, he wasn't just laying around. While he was in the tomb, he entered into hell. He defeated hell, defeated death, defeated the grave. He holds the keys to hell. Walked in the front door and took the keys to the house. And Paul makes it a point to point it out that he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Here's something. I I mean, I know we all go through difficult times. But in Christianity, the third day always comes. You may be in the darkest night of your soul right now. Maybe you're going through, and I know I made light of loss and funerals, but maybe you're going through the weight of that. Maybe today with Mother's Day, it brings up all of these memories and these issues and this baggage, and it creates that dark night of the soul, and you're dealing with emotional issues. Can I tell you that in Christ, the third day always comes. And there is victory when that third day comes. You look at the apostles, there was no hope on Friday night. There was no hope on Saturday. But you know what? Sunday came. And through Sunday brings that victory. Through Sunday brings that healing, brings that hope, that salvation, that life. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So the gospel that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day. Now, let, let, let's go on because Paul points out some very important phrases. He repeats a certain phrase over and over in the next few verses, starting in verse 5. And that he appeared to Peter. And then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, which means they died. What Paul saying to the church in Corinth, if you doubt the resurrection, go ask him. That he appeared to James then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me, Paul, as to one abnormally born. You see, Jesus not only walked from the tomb, he made an appearance. 
It wasn't this a rumor that, hey, the tomb is empty. When you go to the tomb of Christ now, there's a declaration. He is not here. He has risen. And he appeared to people, not, not just to freak them out, but because he said he would do it. You destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. You can put this body in the ground, but it cannot contain it. And he walked out of that tomb and he appeared to those. And I can tell you, he can, he, he'll show up in our life. And he desires to do that. So the, it, it, we can have hope because Jesus is alive. And, and I believe that Jesus is the only way. And I know that a lot of folks wrestle with the exclusive nature of that. But can I tell you that when you look at every major religion in the world, they all claim exclusivity. That you have to adhere to their set of standards and their rules in order to get whatever their promise promises. And Christianity is the same way, but can I tell you that all of the major religious world leaders, you can find where their bones are, but when you go to the tomb of Jesus, there is that sign that says, He is not here, He is risen. And we can have that hope. And, and, and for some, there's, there's arguments. I know around Easter that there's a lot of specials on, on the History Channel and things like that, documentaries, trying to really deal with the death shroud and resurrection and things, and there's some arguments about the resurrection. The first one, I'm going to give you a couple of them. The first one was that people were just hallucinating. They wanted to believe that Jesus was alive, so much so that they believed it to be true, and it just happened. I don't know if you've ever hallucinated. We can talk about that another time. Maybe you're hallucinating now. I'm glad you're here. Um, but, but I can tell you that 500 people, Paul said he appeared to 500 of the brothers at the same time. That didn't account for the women at present. Most of whom are still alive. You can go ask them. So Paul's dealing with the issue then. You will not be able to get 500 to see the same thing. Remember the 3D pictures? I could see them. People that I loved when people couldn't see them. Because I could tell when they were faking. Because I'd start making it up. Oh yeah, it's a stealth bomber. And you see it's doing a flip. And they're like, oh yeah, I see it. I see it. That's Mickey Mouse, dude. Um, so you can't get that many people on the same page. The other thing, I can tell you, people aren't going to die for a hallucination. Because the next one was, the thought is, the argument for the resurrection is, well, the disciples stole the body. So what you've got is a weekend at Bernie's Jesus. Um, that they go in, first of all, when you think about the apostles, they were scared. They scattered because they had just killed their king. And in the order of progression, they were next. So they had to get over that fear and the fear of dealing with a dead body and go into the tomb, past the Roman soldiers who were armed, by the way, get the stone moved, get the body, put them in the closet at Peter's house, and then spend the rest of their life saying, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. Eventually, one of them's going to break. I don't know if you've seen all the police shows. You know, the first 48 is pretty good. Somebody's going to break. Somebody's going to tell. Like, nah, really, man. The apostles, there were 12. Judas committed suicide after Jesus was betrayed. The other 11 were martyred for their faith. They were commanded. They were beaten. They were ordered, do not speak of this resurrection of Jesus anymore. And they said, I cannot help it. I cannot help speaking of the resurrection, because I have to proclaim the truth. The third one 
The third myth is that the Roman and Jewish officials stole the body. Can I tell you that they were so opposed to the way, the Christianity, um, these Christians and Jesus, that as they were the ones beating those who professed the resurrection and the truth, do you not think they wanted to kill the movement so much so that they would parade the body down the main street of the city going, there's your Savior. He's not in the tomb, but he is dead. They couldn't do it. The fourth myth is pretty funny, is that Jesus passed out. That his body took the beating so much that he passed out, and he was placed in the tomb, and the cold, damp tomb revived him. And he somehow got unwrapped from the mummification cloth and the 75 pounds of spices for burial, and then moved the stone and walked out. It's like, what's up? I'm here. Now, if you think later, when Thomas was dealing with his issues, Jesus didn't walk through the door. Hello, he walked through the wall. A passed out, revived Jesus, can't do that. It's also, when you look at medically, the, the truth of the, the crucifixion, it's unlikely that most men could have endured the beating that Jesus took before he was nailed to the cross. The Romans, who were experts in death, declared him dead. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, is a doctor, declared him dead. John was there, said he is dead. They took him down and placed him in the tomb. You know what? In order for Jesus to die, that Christ died, he had to live. In order for him to be resurrected, he had to die. That's the truth. And so because of the resurrection, what does the resurrection mean? It's not just, well, he he was raised from the dead. No, it means so much more than just he was raised from the dead. Let me give you a couple things. The resurrection means rejoicing. Maybe you're, maybe you're in a hopeless situation. Maybe you feel like you're in that, that, that just, just the dark night where there's no hope. It's despair. And the, re, the resurrection means this, rejoicing. I said the third day always comes. It's always darkest before the dawn. Maybe you need hope. Maybe the hope that you need is, moms, maybe you've got a child that's making destructive choices. That no matter what you do, no matter how you try to reinforce, no matter how you try to guide, love, kiss the hurts, nurture, discipline, whatever it is, they continue to make destructive choices. And you need some hope. And the resurrection brings that hope. Maybe you're seeing the prodigal child lived out. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I can, I can, I can speak from this because I'm still raw from this. Because God dealt with me on this a couple weeks ago that in, in my conviction, he said, Matt, you've allowed your joy to be stolen. And I let things overwhelm me. And I got to a point where, where there was no joy. And can I tell you something? That because of the resurrection, there can be rejoicing. And he can instantly bring that hope. Instantly bring that salvation. Instantly bring that joy. He can restore and renew and reconcile all things to himself through his bloodshed on the cross. Whether things on earth, above earth, or under the earth. He is the name above all names. And he walked from that tomb so that we can have joy in our life. And the gospel means we can have that joy. It's about a Savior who walked through the tomb and can walk into our life. And maybe you're in that moment, but can I just tell you, there are people who will walk with you. Hold on, because the third day is coming. And let that hope arise in you. The resurrection means rejoicing. The resurrection means responsibility. Moms, when you gave birth to that child, you now have a 24-7 reminder of responsibility. It doesn't go away. 
I told you, I have one as a junior in college and one's a junior in high school, and it's still a reminder of the responsibility, and I gladly bear that. The resurrection brings responsibility into our life. Why? Because we have the news that brings hope, that brings life, that brings peace, that brings forgiveness, that brings salvation. If you just look around at our world, we are a world lacking of hope. And our world needs someone to say there is hope. There is a name that is above every name. There is a name that every knee will bow. And He walked through the tomb. And He can step into your life. And He can bring about life. You can transition from death to life. We have the greatest message the world has ever known. And will ever know. And we have a responsibility to share that. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. After he had resurrected, been risen, he appeared and he gave this command. He said, go into all the world and make disciples, preaching and teaching them to obey my commands and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what was his promise? I will be with you even to the very end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. You may be in despair. You may be in the darkest night of your soul, but I am there with you. Some of you today may be overwhelmed. Moms, maybe you're in an overwhelming situation. You know, dads, moms have a responsibility. Dads, we've got a responsibility. Husbands, wives, kids, whether you're single, divorced, in college, out of college, we have the responsibility because of the resurrection. Maybe you don't know where you stand with Jesus. Maybe today's the day that that we can can help you work through that. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed and need some help. I'm going to encourage you to do something. Our prayer room is, is... out that door and to the left. And we have people in that prayer room right now waiting on you. And maybe today is a day that the resurrection can bring that joy and that life to you and bring clarity to responsibility. I'm going to pray for us and please don't miss that opportunity to go in our prayer room and speak to someone if you need to. We are there for you. We'll pray with you, for you, and over you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you because you told us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And I thank you that that you died for our sins, that you were buried, and you walked out of that tomb. Father, I know today there may be some in this room that need you to walk into their life. Maybe they don't need to physically see you, but they need the joy. They need the peace. They need the forgiveness. They need the assurance. They need the love. They need what only you can give. They need what only you have because you are the only one that paid for it. And I pray you give them the courage now in their moment to say, Jesus, I I need you. I believe you're the only way. I, I, I can't do this on my own. And I ask you to come into my life, to appear in my life, because you died for my sin. And you were buried, and you walked out of that tomb on the third day, and I'm asking you to walk in to be my Lord, my Savior. Father, I know there's some of us in this room that may be going through the hardest times in their life, There are some in this room that are going through the most joyous times in our life. And I pray that you keep us humble. And I pray that you speak into our lives. I pray that we walk out of here rejoicing and carrying the responsibility of the gospel. We love you. We praise you.
because you are the only name that is worthy to be praised. And the gospel is the most important thing that you have called us to go to the world with. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We celebrate our moms. Bless them today. And we don't just celebrate moms today. Help us to celebrate our moms every day. Just as we don't celebrate the resurrection just on Easter Sunday, but every minute and every second because you are seated at the right hand of the Father and you are alive. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. Mothers, happy Mother's Day. We have a gift for you, a prayer journal on your way out. Have a wonderful day. Um, let, your, let your husbands take care of you. Actually, the best thing you can make on Mother's Day is a reservation. Uh, I love you guys. Happy Mother's Day. God bless y'all. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.